Everything that we could say about him wouldn't even come close to doing justice to how amazing he is. So thankful to know him and to love him and to serve him. Well, let's remain standing. Youth, you can be dismissed, and let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're visiting with us this morning, we are currently uh, going through a series called The Holy Spirit. Normally, we go through a whole entire book, verse by verse. Um, But the Lord's led us to take a little detour for a few weeks to be able to study the person, uh, work, and ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 a little bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that we get to learn all the things that you want to speak to us about, Lord. And help us to be uh, teachable. Help us to be directable or to be guided by you. Please make application of these verses to us. Lord, and the subject matter that we'll be covering today by your Holy Spirit. We commit it to you. We thank you that you're more, more motivated to teach us than we are to learn. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You put the fans on. That'd be great. They are on. Okay, cool. You guys now have these lights on you. You're blessed. Okay, we're going to be continuing our study, as I mentioned, and... Related to the Holy Spirit, the personality and the ministry of the Spirit, that subject is very important uh, for God's people, and and it has been since the birth of the church almost 2,000 years ago. And as I mentioned last week, God wants us to know the Holy Spirit. He wants to know his ministry to the world and to us. And what I talked about last week, if you weren't here, was just the kind of the unpredictability of those that are led by the Holy Spirit and directed by the Holy Spirit. And, and I said that if people can figure the church out, then it's likely not being led by the Holy Spirit. If you can explain it with human means, there's all kinds of models out there that people are using to uh, you know, kind of direct God's church and so forth. And so for us, it's good to look and see what is, what is God really saying? Because we want our lives to be directed by the Spirit. We want our lives to not be explainable. You know, I read last week in John chapter 3, verse 8, where Jesus said, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of 
the Spirit. And, you know, wind is always synonymous to the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures in many, many places. And so we're born again, and we're, we have the Spirit inside of us. We're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But then he directs our lives from that point on. And so sometimes it, our lives are so unpredictable, it's, they're just as unpredictable as where the leaves are going to go on a tree on a windy day. And sometimes it doesn't make sense even to our lives, as I talked about last week, where we, we look at our lives and it, 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 we can't make sense of it. And that's usually a sign that, and you know, obviously we don't want to be in willful disobedience and all these things and so forth. But if we're trying to obey the Lord, we're trying to follow him and so forth. And if our lives don't make sense, it's an evidence that the spirit is directing our lives. Think of Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. He was there in Samaria. And his, he was having great success in Samaria, ministry success. But then the Holy Spirit told him to go to the desert. Didn't say anything about an Ethiopian eunuch. Didn't say anything about where in the desert. Didn't say, give many details. He just said, go. And he went. And then he met this Ethiopian eunuch and he preached the gospel and so forth. And the Ethiopian eunuch received Christ. And then he was translated in the spirit. And we know that he ended up in Caesarea, a very beautiful place, and had some prophetess daughters, which is nice. Uh, and so, but you, if you were to ask Philip, what was that about? I mean, did that make sense to you during that whole journey? And he would say, probably no, it didn't make sense at all. So a lot of times our lives doesn't, they don't make sense. Noah's life didn't make sense to him probably at times in his, in his life. When you go down the list of all the examples in scripture where God leads in ways that are far beyond what we can imagine and his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts higher than our thoughts. And so we just have to trust him. And so that's an encouragement to us. Now, we looked at four basic passages last week in the Gospel of John between the chapters 14 and 16, looking at Jesus' promise, the Holy Spirit. He said in John 14, 16, and 17, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then in verse 26 of the same chapter, he said, but the Spirit, or the Helper rather, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. And then in chapter 15, verse 26, we saw this. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And in chapter 16, verse 7, he told us it was to their advantage and to our advantage that he went to away. Because if he went away, then he would send the helper to us. And he went on to say in chapter 16 as well that, that the Holy Spirit will glorify Christ. So that's what we talked about. We talked about that we have a desperate, desperate need for the Holy Spirit in our lives. To be directing our lives, to be filling our lives, to be leading our lives and so forth. That's what God intended. He said, I will give you another helper, another of the same kind we saw. Just like Jesus. That's why it could be to their advantage that he went away to the Father. Because he was going to, that helper was going to be just like him, but he wouldn't be limited by location like the Lord Jesus allowed himself to be. So that was an, a great thing, and it's a great thing for us. And we're no less advantaged, or we're not disadvantaged from the disciples. Whatever we go through, whatever we go through in life, we still have that helper. We still have that one that comes alongside to help us that's just like the Lord Jesus. And I need it, and I know you need it as well. Now, today I want to discuss the personality and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Some of this might be review for some of you, uh, and I'm sure, you know, for some of us it's not review at all. It's brand new. But it's important for us to look at who he is, who the Holy Spirit is. There's so many misconceptions out there. There's so many models of what being led by the Spirit looks like, and there's a lot of things ascribed to the Spirit that look nothing like the Lord Jesus, And like I said last week, the Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. So anything that is being ascribed to the Spirit has to look like Jesus. Something that he would do or say has to be practiced in the book of Acts and taught on in the epistles, the threefold protection for us. Now these verses that I read, we'll just be picking a few things out here and there a little bit towards the end because we'll be looking at kind of the total picture. So I know it's going to be a little bit of a topical message. I know you're not used to that, uh, but you'll be okay. 
It's still God's word. We're still looking through, uh, you know, the word of God and, and all of that. It's, trust me, it's harder for me to not just go right through a passage and so forth. But I want us to see the broader picture of the Spirit's person and his, and his ministry. There's a lot of confusion related to the Spirit, related to him being a person, because there's a, he's alluded to as, as, or compared to wind and fire and power, and um, there's symbols related to him like oil and fire and water and so forth. And so there's confusions. Also, there's not a lot in the, in the greetings and the salutations and the letters uh, there's not a lot of, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There is 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, which says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. It mentions all three of the Trinity there. But in a lot of introductions or greetings or sign-offs, whatever you want to say, salutations, a lot of times there's not all three of them. So there's people say, well, see, he's a little bit less than you know, he's not quite God or he's, you know, especially the cults get this confused. You know, the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that he's, that, that the spirit is God's active force. It's, it's just a force of God. It's not, uh, he's not a person and so forth. He's not equal with God and all of that. So that's wrong. Other people don't like the fact, and I mentioned this last week, that he's referred to as a person because the, the, the gender of the word spirit, pneuma in Greek, is neuter. So the personal pronouns usually coincide with the gender of the, of the, the word that they're talking about or they're, they're referencing. And so because the spirit is in the neuter gender, they're saying, well, it should be referred to as an it. But Jesus referred to, as we saw last week, so many times, numerous times, between chapters 14 and 16, referring to the Holy Spirit as a he. You know, when I was a new Christian um, a long time ago, uh, and... I was into rap before, and I still do listen to rap at times, but um, I liked rap and so forth, so I tried to find Christian rap when I first, and this is 1990, this is a long time ago, uh, and there was just like two or three different bands that were around, and they would talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but they kept referring to the Holy Spirit as an it, and it bothered me because I knew better, and so I just started listening to those less and less those songs anyway. Uh, but there's a lot of confusion out there. I want to mention just a few kind of character traits or, or things that show us that he's a person. When I say person, we have limitations related to that because he's God. So obviously he's not, there's going to be things that don't exactly line up. And we, you know, but it's the closest we can come. He has personality. He has, he's not just an inactive force or, or, or like gravity, and, you know, uh, but supernatural gravity. Or I've heard all kinds of crazy things about the Holy Spirit. He has a will. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He distributes spiritual gifts according to how he wills, we're told. He has a will. We're also told he has a mind in Romans 8.27. And that implies purposeful thought, among many other things. But the Spirit has a mind, okay? Also, He speaks. We're told in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, that, that um, we should heed and have ears to hear what the Spirit says or speaks to the churches. We're also told in Romans 8, verse 26, that He makes intercession for us with groans and utterances that, the word, that, that, that our words cannot express. He makes intercession for us. But also, he's susceptible to personal treatment. We're told, and we're going to get into this a little bit later, that he could be grieved. We see that in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. What does it mean to grieve? It means to be sad. When you grieve the loss of a loved one, you're, you're sad about the, the loss that you're experiencing, among other things. Also, he can be insulted, we're told, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29, where it says that we can insult the spirit of grace. And, and also, he can be lied to. Many of us know that. We know Ananias and Sapphira lying, saying that they gave everything to the work of the church and so forth when they held some of it back. But they made it look like they gave everything. And Peter said that they had lied to the Holy Spirit. We're also told that you can blaspheme and sin against the Holy Spirit. We're told that in Matthew 12, verses 31 and 32. But one of the most important things that we need to know about the Spirit is that He's God. That He is divine and and we're told when that same passage where 
Peter references that Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit. He, they, he said, you have not lied to men, but to God. Now, you can't lie to a force. And I brought this up to Jehovah's Witnesses before. You know, how, can, how could Ananias and Sapphira lie to a, to a force? Can you lie to gravity? Can you lie? I mean, you want to lie to gravity. You know, when you look in the mirror, it's like, no, you're wrong. Um, I'm not really that heavy or whatever. Um, but you, we're not, we, we definitely can't lie to a force. We only lie to people, our personalities. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, we're told this. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I really like this verse in the New World Translation, in the, in the Jehovah's Witness Bible. I know that may sound crazy. It got a few heads to pop up. Whoa, let's cut the tune back in. He said something very interesting. But it says in their Bible, it says Jehovah is the Spirit. It literally says that. And where the Spirit of Jehovah is, there is liberty. So sometimes I've asked them, if I could show you one verse in the, in, the, in the New Testament where it said Jehovah is the Spirit, would you believe the Bible instead of what you're being taught? Oh, it doesn't say that. I didn't say it. It doesn't say that. I just said, if I could show you, would you believe it? They hate hypotheticals like that. That just drives them crazy. And I said, okay, well, let me just show you one verse. And they read it over and over, and they're like, is this really in my Bible? I'm like, can you read it out loud for me? Jehovah is the Spirit. Oh, wow. Well, I say, well, the, but, but then it says where the Spirit of Jehovah, Spirit of Jehovah, it can't be Jehovah and the Spirit of Jehovah at the same time. I'm like, so the Bible contradicts itself? Because either they're both true, that it's, he's the Spirit of Jehovah and Jehovah himself, or the Bible contradicts itself in one verse. Go ahead. Your, your move. And, and so it's clear that, 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 that God is the Spirit. I mean, he, the Spirit is divine. We're also told that He is eternal. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11 tells us He is eternal. He's also omnipresent. Uh, Psalm 139, verses 7 through 10 tells us that. He's all-powerful. He's omnipotent in Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And He's omniscient, which we're told at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. So that lets us know that he's divine, that when you speak against the Spirit, you're speaking against God. When you grieve the Spirit, you're grieving against God. When you quench the Spirit, you're quenching God. There's all these things that we can do against the Spirit that we're going to get to. But when you're doing it to to the Spirit, you're doing that to God. It's the same thing. There's different names of the Spirit that I want us to know because God reveals his names to us because it reveals a different part of who he is. So we're first told that he's the Holy Spirit. He's holy. So anything ascribed to the Spirit, or you may say, well, the Spirit's leading me to do this. If he is leading you to do it, he's, gonna, it's not gonna be leading, he's not gonna be leading you into anything that's unholy, that's ungodly, that's carnal. And so we have to know that. He, he's, it's very important to him that we walk in his holiness. And he gives us the grace and the power to do that. We're also told he's the spirit of grace in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. He's the spirit of grace. He's, we go into the throne room of grace. I love hearing about grace. I can't hear about grace enough. I need God's grace every single day. And he's the spirit of grace. He's the one that imparts grace. Sometimes we say that. We say, man, God gave me so much grace to do this. How God actually pulled that off or how it happened how we accomplished that is by the holy spirit in our lives enabling us and giving us grace to do what we normally could not do he's also referred to as the spirit of truth we saw that last week in our verses we saw three times where he referred the lord jesus referred to the spirit as the spirit of truth he isn't and like i said last week he's not aiming at 99.9 percent truth that we walk in he's aiming at 100 percent truth of what we believe, of what we practice, of what we lead others into, 100% truth. And so he calls us to defend the truth, and he, and he calls us to do that by the spirit of truth. He's also called the spirit of life. Romans 8 verse 2 says this, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Very important for us to know that. He's the one that gives us life. He's the one that regenerates us. He's the one that makes, gives our spirit life, and we come to know him. He's also called the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. And the references are Isaiah 11, 
verse 2, Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, talking about the spirit of wisdom and knowledge being upon the Lord Jesus. And, and that in his public ministry and in his ministry that continues today, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is ministering to others through the spirit of wisdom and knowledge. Remember Stephen before the religious leaders, first martyr there. I'm sure, I'm, I'm, I can't know this for sure, but I, I would be very confident that, that, that Saul of Tarsus, before he became Paul, debated Stephen in synagogues. He's probably the one that, he, Stephen's probably the one through whom Saul of Tarsus heard everything that he heard to be able to kick against the goads that, that God told, that Jesus talked to him about when he, at his conversion. Heard those scriptures. He, Stephen went into the synagogues all over, the, all over the, that whole area. And when he was martyred there and he gave his whole long dissertation before they stoned him, when they were cut to the heart, they could not resist the wisdom of the Holy Spirit coming through his life. You ever share your faith with someone or you're sharing something and it's the themes of the scriptures are being discussed and so forth. And you're going, as you're saying things, you're going, where did I get that? You know, that's, that's actually good. I would write that down. Where did that come from? It's not coming from you or coming from me. It's coming from God. He's giving us by the spirit, that wisdom and, and knowledge. He's also referred to as the spirit of promise. We're told that in Ephesians chapter one, verse 13, that we're sealed with the Holy spirit of promise because he seals us and it's beautiful. So he's promised that he's also referred to as the spirit of glory, First Peter chapter 4, verse 14. The spirit of glory and of God resteth, resteth or rests upon you. When we're getting persecuted for our faith, we can know that the spirit of glory rests upon us. Think about Moses and having his face shine and going up on that mountain there and coming back and having his face shining with that Shekinah glory there that they saw. The spirit rests upon us in a very powerful way when we're being persecuted for our faith. When we're standing up for the things of the Lord Jesus. I think of Pastor Saeed. I can't wait to meet that man someday and encourage him. And have him encourage me, actually. Uh, and, and just be able to think about how he's being persecuted in that, in that prison and be able to ask those questions. But I just think about him because I've heard that dozens and dozens of prisoners have come to Christ in that prison. Because his wife goes and speaks at pastors who just spoke at the, the pastor's wife's, uh, Calvary Chapel Pastor's Wife's Conference. Um, and you know, just the, just the, the power that is upon his life right now and preaching that gospel and being bold for him, that power, that spirit of glory rests upon him. And I know that they're seeing that he's different in that prison and that's making a difference. As I mentioned before, he's also referred to the spirit of Christ. Romans eight, nine says, now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is not of his. So, we, so the, again, anything that, that we, people ascribe to the Spirit has to look like Jesus. Jesus never laughed uncontrollably on the ground. Jesus never barked like a dog. Jesus never, um, I mean, there's all these crazy winds of doctrine that have blown through the church over the years. He never did any of those things. I don't even have to look at a Bible to know that that's not of the Spirit. People say they're out of control. I can't help it. The Spirit's making me do this. No, the fruit of the Spirit self-control. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets, we're told in 1 Corinthians 14. So he, is, he does things decently and in order. Now, on the other side of that, those of us that are kind of comfortable with our routines at times, we like that decency and in order verbiage because sometimes we want to say, oh, God, this is the way that we do it, and he set it up this way, he can't change things. That's not what decency, decently and in order means. It means that it's just it's going to be honoring to the Lord. And it's not going to be of confusion, obviously. It's not going to be confusion or anything like that in the room. But he does change things up. But it is decent and in order. He's called the comforter. We saw that last week. The comforter, the helper. So he comes alongside to help us in our need. Now, I just want to mention a few things of the work of the Spirit. We talked last week about the, how he works in the, in the lives of those who don't know him. We saw it in our verse that I read that he is with you and he will be in you. We're going to get into this, Lord willing, next week when we talk about the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Before we come to know Christ, he's with us. But then when we come to know Christ, he comes inside of us. And so, but the world, the world is just, 
getting convicted. He's not inside those that are in the world that don't know Christ. And sometimes we want to play the Holy Spirit. We want to be the sin enforcers in this world and be the, the, the you know, we're going to bust everybody and every little thing they do that isn't of, of God. And, and we need to speak up for what's right. We need to tell people what the standard is. We need to be salt and light, all those things. But we're never going to convict people by the Spirit like the Spirit can convict because he does it directly. He bypasses us. He uses us at times where we'll say something, he'll use those scriptures and so forth, but he is great at what he does. So that's the, his ministry, his main ministry in the lives of those that don't know him. But related to the believer, he regenerates us. We're, taught, we're told in John chapter 3 that, and we just read that, that, that uh, he regenerates us and we're born of the spirit and there's titus chapter 3 verse 5 says the renewing of the holy spirit when he saved us and so forth we're indwelt by the holy spirit first corinthians six nineteen says that our body is the temple of the holy spirit which is in us so we're, we're the temple of the spirit we don't have to worry about god being close to us he lives inside of us he lives there. It's hard for us to even imagine. To the Jewish mind, they can't even imagine that because that was God's presence was represented by that tabernacle or that temple. And only that high priest could go into that Holy of Holies and that after one, you know, that's once a year and then after his sins have been uh, atoned for or sa- sacrifice has been made for his sins. But we live every single day with the Spirit inside of us. And that's something that we shouldn't take for granted. We should remember that. Also, the Spirit seals us, as I mentioned. We're told in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, in whom after, also after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance or the guarantee of what is to come. So the Holy Spirit seals us. Seals are not all that important to us today. We don't use those seals and sealing letters and all of that. But in that day, it was very important. And it, it was something that described ownership. So when someone put their seal on, on something, that was to say, I own it and I have authority over it. When they put the seal on that stone that was rolled away with the Lord Jesus' resurrection, that's that Roman seal on it basically said, Rome owns this tomb. And you mess with this, this seal and you mess with Rome. So it's the same with us. God owns us. He puts his seal by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's also mentioned as the spirit of adoption because he adopts us as, as his kids. And so he gives us that relationship with, with him that we need so desperately through adoption. But how does he do it? He does it by the Holy Spirit. And then as I mentioned, the Spirit baptizes or fills the believer. He also refills us. We're going to look into that as well. And so those are just some ways to get to know him, to know those things. To, and as we walk in the truths of those things, we build our relationship with the Spirit. And it, many times we don't realize that we're doing it when, we do, when we're doing it. But as we walk in those things, as we meditate on those things, as we submit our lives to those things in his word, then we, we're engaging the Spirit in ways that we may not be very familiar with otherwise. Now, I want us to look at our verses today. Look at in uh, chapter 2 there, verses 3 and 4, where it says, I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That isn't just someone getting up and being creative and being a nice orator. That's someone being dependent upon the Holy Spirit as they're teaching, as they're preaching the gospel to someone. Many people believe that, that Paul, when he came to Corinth, was reeling from his experience there in Acts 17 where, you know, on Mars Hill, he didn't have that great of a response. Where there, there were a few that believed, but there's some that didn't believe. I think that could be true. I don't know that anybody could know that. That's kind of arguing there from silence. Because anytime anyone, anytime you're faithful to preach the gospel or do what God's called you to do, regardless of what happens as a result of it, you've been successful. I mean, look at Jeremiah. 30 years of being faithful, preaching that message. No known or recorded convert. He was a completely successful. 
just as successful as anybody that had a great, you know, uh, fruitful, as we would describe it, ministry. But that's not the way that we judge things today oftentimes. So the important thing for us to understand is that God wants to demonstrate his power through our lives as we're faithful to preach that gospel, as we're faithful to teach his word and so forth. He doesn't want us trusting in anything in ourselves or creativity or any other model. He wants, he wants the spirit to be coming through our lives in the sense of empowering our lives and giving us the capacity to tell people the truth. Another aspect of the Spirit in our lives is that He gives us power over sin. It says, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law, made me free from the law of sin and death. And then in verse 13, Paul said, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to deeds the death the deeds of the body, you will live. So the Holy Spirit gives us power over sin. Paul talks about it. By the Spirit, we need to put to death the deeds of the flesh and die to those things. But not just leave a vacuum. Go and obviously commune with God and let Him fill us and and renew us and so forth and give us that strength and that um, godly uh, life and so forth. And He'll do that every single time. The Holy Spirit also produces fruit in the believer's life. We see that in Galatians chapter 5. The beautiful fruit of the Spirit It's not something that we try really hard to, you know, we're going to just try harder. That's our human effort at work, and that doesn't accomplish anything. But as we rely upon him, he bears that fruit through our lives. When's the last time you saw a tree straining to, to, to bear fruit? It just naturally bears fruit because it's a tree. It's that tree, and it's tapped into that root system, and it's being watered, of course, and so forth. Also, we're told that the Holy Spirit anoints the believer, Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it was taught you, you will abide in him. We talk a lot about the anointing, you know, throwing that word around a lot. And I understand what they're talking about. You're empowered by the Spirit. He comes upon you and you're empowered to do what He's called you to do. But He's also given us that anointing, that Spirit, uh, to give us understanding, to understand the Scriptures and to give us discernment. And this whole passage in 1 Corinthians 2 is talking about giving us that capacity to receive. In fact, that's the last thing that I wanted to talk about related to the Holy Spirit's ministry is that the Holy Spirit gives us revelation. Look at verse 7 in our chapter, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7. It says, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord, the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor have, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us. How? Through this, his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the, man, the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So when we talk about eye is not seen, nor ear heard, we talk about those things. We don't know those things. You know, they're about heaven, and we're going to be in heaven someday, and heaven's going to be so great. No one's even thought of those things. No, eye is not seen, ear is not heard. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about what's been already been revealed. That's why it says there, uh, uh, but God has revealed them, verse 10, to us through his spirit. Revealed is past tense there. Notice in verse 10. He has revealed them already to us. So yes, the natural man, the rulers that he's talking about, the people that are so proud of what they know and are rulers in this world, the ungodly natural man, They haven't seen any of these things related to heaven and what God has prepared for us. But we're not those people, he's saying. 
He's revealed those things to us, past tense. We already know them. It's not something that we're going to have a a revelation of in terms of its entirety in the future. Of course, there's going to be things that are going to be revealed to us that we don't know now. But he's, in large part, revealed it through us. How? Through his Spirit. His Spirit has given us that revelation. Revelation, as we saw when we went through the book of Revelation, it means unveiling. You don't see anything at all because... It's just like something's covered up and then you pull the sheet away and you see all of it. So you see nothing until you see all of it and someone else has to decide when that happens. Someone else is, decides for us when they pull that sheet away. God has decided for us to not reveal anything related to these things until we come to know him. And he gives us that anointing. He gives us that spirit. And then he gives us the capacity to receive revelation. And then we receive all of the things all at once that he wants to reveal to us in the scriptures as we study them and so forth, and then we get to see what he wants us to know and prepare us for eternity, and it's beautiful. But he contrasts that with with the world. It says, verse 13, or verse 14, but the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, nor can, notice that word can, nor can he know them, It's not that he just doesn't want to. He can't know them. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The natural man does not have the capacity to discern anything spiritually. That's when people look at other cultures or they look at other religions and so forth and they respect certain things. And this verse is saying they can't know anything about spiritual things because they don't have their spirit alive yet. Because God comes in and takes our dead spirit by the Holy Spirit, and makes our dead spirit alive. And then we become a spiritual being in the sense of being alive spiritually. And that doesn't happen any other way except coming through Christ. And he's the door. He's the way, the truth, and the life. So if we go through him the way that he says, then the Spirit is given to us, and we are made alive by the Holy Spirit spiritually, and then we have the the, the capacity to weigh spiritual things. That's what the idea is behind discerning is to be able to weigh things. We can weigh things. And that's why when unbelievers, they go off and they're experts in the Bible and they've never read it and you know they, they're experts in all these things, they don't know what they're talking about because they haven't had their spirit made alive by the Spirit yet and thus they have not received revelation from God in, in uh, special revelation, you know, God's Word. They've received general revelation that there is a God. We're told that in Scripture. They can see that the heavens declare the glory of God. They've been, they, Romans chapter 1 talks about that mankind has, natural man has received the revelation that there is a God by what's been made and their conscience and the design of everything and so forth. It reveals God's uh, divine nature, we're told in Romans chapter 1. So now let's briefly, before I close here, I want to talk about offenses against the Holy Spirit. The first offense that we can commit is resisting the Holy Spirit. Now, this is for unbelievers. In Acts chapter 7, we are told, uh, they were told, the religious leaders, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. It's Stephen again. You resist the Holy Spirit. And that's an offense against the Spirit. We don't want to do that. And we, we can't do that. I don't believe we can. In a sense of this kind of resistance, you know, we can you know, not allow him to work and so forth and resist him in that sense. But in terms of this, what he's talking about in Acts chapter 7, resisting him is someone that, you ever shared your faith with somebody and they know that what you're saying is true, but they say, no, thank you? That's good for you? They say, yeah, you know what? I need that. That you, you've hit the nail on the head. I'm that person. I need that. Do you want to accept Christ? No. You're resisting the Spirit. He's working in your life. He's revealing Christ to you. He's showing you that's the best decision. One of the most dangerous things you could do in that moment is resist the Spirit because you may not have another moment to make that decision. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed 10 minutes from now. If you're here today, you've never received Christ, you know that it's the right thing to do. Right now, you need to receive Christ in your heart. Trust in what he did for you on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, putting your faith in him alone to pay your way to heaven and repenting of your sins, making a U-turn in the road of life in your heart. Right now, that's what you need to do if you're here today and you haven't done that. Don't waste another second. 
The other thing that we can do is insult the Holy Spirit. We're told that in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 29. But we are rejecting the things that we already know are true about the Lord. And we're, in, we're insulting Him. Would you ever want to go out and just insult God? Maybe we didn't think that's possible. <laughs> it's very possible. Just, re- just reject the things that He's done in your life and count them as nothing. You've just insulted the Spirit of grace. We're also told that it's possible to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Again, believers can't do this. This is unbelievers rejecting the gospel, rejecting the the Son over and over and over again. And in their their last possible time that they could receive Him, they reject Him, they've blasphemed Him. That's the one sin that will not be forgiven is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Jesus said it. And, And it's because it's rejecting salvation. Rejecting salvation cannot be forgiven. Also, we're told, and this is, these, these next three things are a little bit more relevant to us. The first one is grieving the Spirit. We can grieve, and I mentioned this before, but grieving the Spirit's very, very, um, probably more common than we realize. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 real quick. Ephesians chapter 4. I want to begin reading in verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Does it seem a little conspicuous that he puts do not grieve the Holy Spirit right in the middle of those verses? When we are carnal and we are in the flesh, as we like to say, or we're not being obedient to the Lord, and we're just letting loose our tongues, our, our, what our speech represents, how we're treating people, the, what's going on in our heart in related to bitterness or unforgiveness. When we just have no restraints on those things, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. We are making the Holy Spirit sad. He's grieved. You ever been in a room with believers and the conversation starts going a little sideways and you know that you should redirect the conversation and you don't and you just let it go and it's still, you know, the spirit's like doing jumping jacks inside of you saying this is not good. The direction this is going isn't good. You're, you're, and you don't do it. And then afterwards you feel like he is totally grieved and he's sad about the whole situation not for his sake, but for your sake. And, and, and it's, it's sad, and we all can do it. So he doesn't want to be grieved. We shouldn't want to grieve him. We should be sensitive to that. We should recognize that there's a direct connection between what I do and how he feels or what he thinks. Very important. We also mentioned lying to the Holy Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira People debate whether or not they were true believers. I personally believe they were true believers. But we can lie to the Spirit. We can, we can engage in hypocrisy. We can act like we've done one thing spiritually when we haven't. Some people don't want to come among God's people because they're struggling and they don't want to be hypocrites. There's a difference between someone struggling and wanting to do what's right and, and having you know struggle and someone not even caring at all and then coming among God's people and acting like they're totally spiritual. 
They're two different things. We need to fall towards the Lord. We need to fall towards his people instead of falling away from the direction of God's people. This is a hospital. Would you go to a hospital and say, I don't want to come sick. (laughs) I need to go to that hospital when I'm well. Or else people will think I'm weird or something. Think how crazy that is. That's what it's like for us. You should be able to come here. That's why it has to be an atmosphere of grace and forgiveness and love. And still people need to be willing to hear the truth and speak the truth in love, of course. But we have to have an environment where people can admit their failures and admit that they're struggling. If we start doing that, that's why when, whenever I mention somehow that I'm struggling, and I struggle a lot, just like you do, people get encouraged. It's like, that's so refreshing. No, so many leaders don't ever let people know that they're struggling. And like, I'm struggling, and I, I need you to pray for me. Uh, it's encouraging, but it's that way for you too. Maybe you're projecting something to other people that are in your life that are that's not realistic and it's it's working against how they can believe that God can be gracious with them and that they're in a long-term project or they're a long-term project related to holiness and so forth just be who you are if you're struggling let people know you're struggling and let ask them to pray for you be honest and, and open very important quenching the spirit let me read to you first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 16 through 21 Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things, hold fast to what is good. We use the word quench like I need my thirst quenched. You know what is it? Gatorade is it called the the, the thirst quencher? The Holy Spirit isn't thirsty. And we're going to be giving him water or something like that. Or he's afraid to get a drink from us. He doesn't want his thirst quenched. No, it's talking about a fire. When you quench a fire, you put out the fire. That's the picture here. And I find it interesting that he says in verse 20 of 1 Thessalonians 5, do not despise prophecies. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, obviously, this is still for today. I mean, people are really going to say that 1 Thessalonians isn't for today? That God left, that God made a mistake and he put in prophecies there. And prophecies are for today. The gifts of this, all the gifts of the Spirit are for today. There's no biblical basis for saying that they ended back in the early church. There's no biblical basis for that. Under close scrutiny, you will find that. But he doesn't just say that. He says, pray without ceasing and everything give thanks and so forth. And then he says, do not despise prophecies. Test all things. The solution to bad prophecies or erroneous prophecies is not no prophecies. It's testing those things by the scriptures, like, this, like 1 Corinthians 14 tells us to do. That prophecies stand up and then others judge. There's an accountability when you prophesy. You have to be willing to be corrected. It has to be biblical. So the solution to bad prophecies is testing those prophecies. Where people are sure when they go and speak Thus saith the Lord. I don't know why they have to use the King James all the time when they, thus saith, I don't know. But when this is what God says, and then it's not biblical, they need to be willing to be tested. So that's important. But rejecting those things and not letting him have his way and not letting him work how he wants to work by his spirit and having our nice little thing that we do and it's, it's, it's like ultra predictable every single time and, and we're never open to him changing anything up at any time. That's quenching the spirit. That's putting water on a fire. And he doesn't want that. Look at the book of Acts. Were they quenching the spirit? Sometimes they were, and we see that. But most of the time, they weren't quenching the Spirit. They were letting Him do what He wanted to do. And it was a beautiful thing. Did they need to be corrected? Yes. Are much of the epistles corrective in nature? Yes. But God wanted to work how He worked. And I believe the church wouldn't have been what it was in the beginning and and, and what He wants it to be today if He didn't have the freedom to work how He wants to work. We shouldn't grieve or lie or quench the Spirit we need to be totally surrendered to him and what he wants. And so much of that has to do with being open to him and being dependent upon him. And when he speaks to us, even if it makes no sense, we need to recognize that he's working how he wants to work. If we get to the end of our lives, and it really honestly in our view didn't make sense, but it blessed his heart, wouldn't that be enough? 
Wouldn't that be sufficient? Wouldn't we be fine with that, that our lives represented worship and it blessed him, even though it made no sense to us? It'd be totally worth it. So just let him lead your life and and be content with where he has you at the moment. It's so easy to get ahead of the Lord, but it's also easy to fall back and, and, and not be obedient to him when he says, do this or do that. And it's hard to be right at the right place, isn't it? I know from my life, it's hard to be just at that perfect place where I'm not falling behind, but I'm not getting ahead of him either. I'm right in step with him. It's very difficult, but but it's worth the effort. It's worth seeking him and being in prayer and and bouncing things off leaders and reading scriptures and, and seeking him and finding out what he wants for us because what he wants for us, even if it makes no sense to us, it's worth it. It's going to have eternal dividends. It, 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 even if it's just to bless his heart, that's good enough. But, it, but as we've seen in our own lives, over time when we look back, our lives look, make, um, make a lot more sense to us than when they do right at the, in the moment. And he wants to be glorified in the process, not just at the end. He wants to be glorified and trusted and honored and us having our faith in him throughout the entire process. People are watching. They're coming to conclusions about our God based on how we have faith in him and trust him. And we want to glorify him with every decision. And we have to depend upon the spirit for that to happen. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your Holy Spirit in our lives. We thank you that his person and his work is so beautiful. And, and we as a body, Lord, as a family, we yield our hearts to you. Whatever you want to do through this church, we recognize it at your church and not ours. Help us to keep you, or help us to allow you to be free to do what you want to do in our lives. We don't want to resist you, Lord. We don't want to grieve you. We don't want to quench you. We don't want to lie to you. We want your life to be lived through us, Jesus, and we know that that happens by your Holy Spirit. So help us to get out of the way. Help us to not try to help you out. Help us to be content where we are in life, recognizing that you can do so many different things through us, even when we don't understand what you're doing. We trust you. We honor you. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand again.